Daniela Jakubowski, the co-founder of the rapidly growing e-commerce company Bar, is transforming the way women shop for jewelry and accessories. With its fast fashion approach to women's jewelry, Bar provides its customers with on-trend products at an affordable price. Evidently, it's working. Daniela and her co-founder, Amy Jane, who both come from investment banking backgrounds, raised 20 million in funding during their Series C round in 2016. The two have been recognized by Inc, Fast Company, and TechCrunch, among others, as the most influential female founders. We invited Danielle to the studio to hear about the initial startup days of Bobble Bar, the process of raising significant venture capital funding, how they scaled without hampering their entrepreneurial spirit, and more. So let's get down to business. Let's do it. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Danielle Jakubowski. I'm one of the co-founders of Bobble Bar along with my co-founder, Amy Jane. Um, I'm originally from Las Vegas, Nevada. I am probably the only person you're talking to that can say that. Um, graduated business school in 2010 and started Bobble Bar shortly after, so I've been at it ever since. Wow. Um, so tell us a little bit about your experience at Harvard Business School. What was your favorite aspect of school? Oh, there were so many. Um, we both loved school. I think when Amy and I both started, at Harvard, we had both worked for a couple of years in finance um, and had both always dreamed about starting something ourselves and doing something entrepreneurial. I think probably my favorite part about business school was just the community of people and the network. Um, everyone was amazing. And I think what was really helpful for us is we actually had the idea for Bobble Bar the summer between our first and second year at business school. And our second year at school, we basically did as much work as possible to kind of get it up and running and off the ground. And there was nothing better than being at a place where there were thousands of people who had experience that could be really helpful to you, really wanted to help us figure out, you know, how to kind of get it launched. And also we had this amazing community of peers and women who would be our, you know, our target customer who were willing to let us do focus groups and all sorts of stuff on them to kind of really dig into what the consumer wanted in the category. That's fantastic. Um, how do you think HBS helped shape you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, Harvard was a great place to be to, to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Up until being in business school, I know for me specifically, my background was extremely um, narrowly focused on finance. So I had gone to Wharton for my undergrad. So I had majored in finance and most of my classes were in finance. I had worked in investment banking and private equity for four years before business school. And it was great to be in an environment that was really more focused on such a broad range of categories across management. So to be exposed to, you know, people management and organizational structure and operations and logistics and marketing and all of these other topics that have been so important and critical to running a business. Um, it was really, really helpful. That's fantastic. Um, you mentioned both you and Amy were in financial banks before. Do you think the recession had any influence on your decision to become an entrepreneur? So it's funny because sometimes I wonder if the recession led to more people, you know, leaving finance and, and looking for other things to do. I don't know that either Amy or I thought about it that specifically and said, oh, you know, it's a recession. We want to move in a different direction. I know that we had both always thought about wanting to do something entrepreneurial. That said, you do see, you know, I think we did see a bit of a shift in terms of what people were doing. And I think that being an entrepreneur or working in an entrepreneurial environment is a really good natural step for someone 
who's come from finance and has a financial background, I think you really understand a lot of the basic metrics um, that you have to understand to drive a business forward. And I think more importantly, you also really learn just honestly how to get things done. Like you learn how to be a little bit of a ninja and you kind of have to be to get something up and running and off the ground. Definitely. Um, so walk us through a little bit of what it was like during the initial startup days. Yeah. So the initial startup days are um, wild. They're all over the place. <laughs> They're all over the map. I mean, even to this day, people ask me what a typical day looks like. And I always say there isn't really a typical day. In the beginning, it really was just Amy and me doing everything to try to get this thing up and running. So in the beginning, we didn't have any employees. It was just the two of us. We worked in this teeny little shared working space and like one of the co-working spaces. WeWork didn't exist at the time. So the WeWork, like the WeWork back in the day was not that nice. We were in like a windowless room. All our flowers died. Um, but we did everything. I mean, we, you know, packed the boxes and taped the boxes and we would put them in these giant sacks and like walk them to the postal service to like drop them off. We looked ridiculous. And eventually somebody was like, you guys are dropping off a lot of packages. Do you like need to set up an account so we can send somebody to go pick them up? And we finally had the volume to do that. Um, we were taking pictures ourselves for the site, for social media. We were writing every email. We were writing every Facebook message. We were reaching out to bloggers to send them gifts. Um, we were doing everything. I mean, the early days, they're fun. They're scrappy. They're crazy. Um, but it was, it was really exciting days. Those days definitely sound exciting. So walk us through sort of the evolution of Bobble Bar from obviously your day-to-day, you know, starting is drastically different from year three, year five, even now. Yeah. I mean, Bobble Bar has grown so dramatically since we first started. You know, it started as just Amy and me doing it in Amy's apartment. Now we're about 100 people. We have our headquarters in Flatiron, New York. We have our warehouse facility out in New Jersey where we pick, pack, and ship all of the orders. Um, and it's just, we've grown tremendously. It's been really exciting to see what each phase looks like. You know, I still remember what it was like to be 10 people sitting in a tiny room, just kind of yelling ideas at each other. You know, I think for us, the secret sauce has really been trying to figure out what's the right mix of putting the right processes in place so that we can scale and grow that aid in communication and aid in cross-functional teamwork without hampering you know, everybody's sort of entrepreneurial spirit and without hampering that excitement about brainstorming and ideating and being able to really see one of your ideas through to fruition and and sort of managing it through that process. That's great. Um, How have you navigated the business world as a female founder? Are there aspects of sort of being this power female you really think have worked to your advantage? You know, we get asked a lot what it's like to to start and run a business as a woman. Um, and I think that, you know, Amy and I really try to be thoughtful about whomever we're speaking to. How do you allow that audience to really see things the way that you see things? I think that when we were first starting and when we were first fundraising, you know, we were fundraising predominantly from the venture capital community, which at that time was not used to seeing a lot of deals in, in the consumer space. I don't think that's the case anymore, but at the time that was the case. And the burden was really on us to help a lot of the investors in that community see the opportunity that we saw and help them understand how women shop the category, how women think about the category, how she thinks about fashion jewelry, how she shops it, what she what she wants to see. Um, and fortunately, we were 
successful in, in helping them see that. But um, it's not always easy. You are backed by some of the most prominent and respected venture capital firms. What has been the hardest aspect of fundraising? Fundraising is always... Fundraising is always a little bit of a challenge. I think fundraising is never fun. I think the toughest aspect is just, you know, you have to sustain a lot of rejection and a lot of no's. Everybody does it at some point in their fundraising journey. And that's not necessarily a reflection of your specific idea or your company. It could be that you're not a good fit for, you know, that fund's thesis or what it is that they're looking to invest in. And it could be so many different things. Um, but that's hard. It's it's tough to do, um, is to not only sustain that on a regular basis, but to also tack on hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work into something that's not just the core running of the business. So it's tough to carve out that time. Um, it's tough to kind of constantly hear no. But out of that, you also get a lot of really great feedback. You get a lot of good ideas and, you know, it definitely generates a lot of important discussion about where you want to take the business and what you want to do. What was your darkest hour, meaning the most frightening moment for you with your startup? Honestly, it's hard to say that there was necessarily a darkest hour specifically. I think what was really, really hard in the beginning, at least I know for me personally to deal with, is that every single day you've got a new high and a new low and you have to get used to that roller coaster and not let it affect you so much <laughs> emotionally and mentally. It's not uncommon to have a day where you get a call at 11 a.m. and it's the best news you've ever gotten as a business. And you were just like, oh my God, I never thought something so great would happen. And then at 11.30, you get another call and it's like the worst thing you ever thought could have happened. And it all happens back to back, same day, same week, same month. And, and how you kind of handle that roller coaster is hard. Amy and I always joke that, that we think that that's something that we've gotten really good at doing as entrepreneurs, which is, you know, we always jokingly say, you could walk by our desks and tell us the building was on fire. And we probably would both just be like, yeah, someone will put it out. It'll be fine. Um, versus, you know, five years ago, we would have been like, oh my God, what do we do? How do we handle this? You know, and, and you kind of learn to roll with the punches. During those dark moments, what really drives you? So I think for me, I ultimately feel you know, when we're going through a tough time, when we're going through a dark moment or something scary or uncertain, we're both so driven by our passion for what we're doing, our love for the company, and genuinely a tremendous amount of just love, admiration, respect for the incredible team that we've built. You know, I think both Amy and I sit at our desk sometimes and look around this office and feel a tremendous amount of pride. Um, we have an amazing team who come in every day, who work their butts off, who do an incredible job and have worked hard to build a really extraordinary company. We're really proud of them. Um, and I think for us, you know, we really feel like we owe it to them and to each other to really keep building something even better and stronger. More often than not, the public perception of founding a company is glamorous and exciting. People have this high expectation of what a founding CEO salary should be. In reality, what type of salary were you making the first year as a startup CEO? So the first year as a startup CEO was not the most glamorous thing. I mean, I don't know that I would ever categorize it as glamorous. I think there are exciting, fun moments. But we always joke that in a startup, the shit rolls uphill, quite frankly. You know, like if stuff doesn't get done, you're the person that's getting it done. Is a toilet clogged? 
Go unclog it. Did someone not take out the trash? Like, go take out the trash. Like, you do those things because it's your baby and you want to see it succeed. I mean, in the first year, so Amy and I actually, um, we put, after we were done with business school, whatever money we had left after going through business school, we actually put into our beta site. So we self-funded the beginning. Um, and then after we raised a little bit of money, we paid ourselves extremely modest salaries, literally just enough to pay for cost of living in New York and, and nothing more. And we really, really hunkered down and figured out how to get it done um, because we didn't want to go out and raise a ton of money and pay ourselves these extremely big salaries. It, it didn't make sense. You know, we were still really proving out what the company could be and what it was going to look like. And, and we didn't think that we, you know, could really command a high salary and certainly not one that was in line with what we were used to getting paid in finance. So we really tried to be very measured about what we were taking. You and your co-founder, Amy, are best friends. What is the key to making your friendship and working relationship work? So Amy and I have known one another since our first job out of college. So we met in 2004. So you do the math. That's a long time. Um, we actually met somebody introduced us um, and said, you guys have the same birthday. You should throw a party together. And we did. And it was epic. And we've been best friends ever since. Um, and I honestly know, and I, I tell this to a lot of people, I could never do this with another person. Amy is the only person I could be a co-founder with. Um, you know, being co-founders is, is really hard. It puts, it can put a huge strain on your relationship if you're not doing it with the right person. At the end of the day, Amy and I both have a tremendous amount of respect and love and admiration for one another. Um, and I think we also really know one another. You know, we joke that I know what kind of mood Amy's in and vice versa based on what she's wearing to work. And we know how to jump in and shield one another when needed and step up for the other person and, and help the other person. I mean, you really... It's, it's like a marriage. It, it's that kind of a partnership. So you have to be a really good partner to the other person. Um, you know, for us, we really do spend a lot of time together, not just at work, but outside of work, because we are genuinely very close friends. Um, my fiance and her husband are also good friends. I absolutely love her daughters. Our families know one another. Our parents are friendly. We're friendly with one another's parents. Like we are genuinely really, really best friends. Um, and the key is also, when you're not at work, to remember to, you know, talk about life and talk about life moments. And, and you know, it's funny, in the beginning when we were first starting, I remember we were sitting and getting manicures. Um, and Amy turned to me and she was like, oh, my God, I just realized we haven't talked about non-work stuff in a really long time. We can never do that again. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in work because work is always on your mind and you're always thinking about it and it's always right up there. And we've gotten really good about making sure that we carve out time to just have a life catch up, you know, and talk about stuff that's like miles away from work. Um, cause we really, you know, we are both, we're best friends and, and we're co-founders and you have to be able to do both. Tell us about a time when someone made all the difference in your career journey. Oh, there are so many. Um, there are so many people who have made such a huge difference in our career journey and have impacted us as, as founders. Um, I think we are so fortunate. The entrepreneurial community is a phenomenal one. Um, everyone is so eager to be helpful to one another because I think there's, there's battle scars that come from, from starting a company. And when you hear of somebody else doing it, the first thing that runs through your mind is, oh my God, I need 5 million mistakes. Like I want to make sure you don't make the same ones. So it's everyone from when we were first starting the company 
and folks who are one or two years ahead of us giving us advice on stuff that you think of as like the basics, health insurance for your employees, finding and renting office space, things that you have to do for your business are not going to be those like brilliant operational moves that like take you to the next level and you could spend weeks researching and figuring it out. You'd like someone to just kind of swoop in, tell you what the answer is and kind of learn from from their work. So, you know, when we were first starting, we had a ton of people who came in and, and did that for us, which honestly is life-saving um, for, for a young company. And we've had a lot of folks who are um, a couple years out, our years, a few years behind us, just be great, great resources and sounding boards in terms of telling us experiences they've had, giving us advice on something that they've that they've been through. I think that's what's tough about, you know, starting a company is you're always charting a new path. There's no right way to do anything. Um, you have to make good decisions and good choices and then manage through them. So the more stories that people have, the more examples people have, the more that you can learn from what other people have done, the better. Bubble Bar has a massive following. You could even argue almost every millennial-aged female knows the Bubble Bar name. How has the company created such fantastic brand recognition and customer loyalty? Um, We're very lucky. We have an amazing community of women who know us, love us, shop us, wear us, and and most importantly, talk about us to friends. Um, I think, you know, that's the type of thing that you can't um, you can't manufacture it if it's not naturally there. I think that companies that um, are fortunate enough to make and sell product to customers, you live and die by your product. Um, your product's got to be amazing. It's got to be really well designed, really well made, really well priced. And most importantly, it has to really meet a customer need. And if you do those things, I think you're really lucky that your customers will sing your praises and share your story and help you find other customers. I also think we're really fortunate in that we have a really conspicuous product. So we're really lucky. And especially in the early days, you know, girls were wearing these really big statement earrings, these really big statement necklaces. And we heard this a lot from customers who said, I was on the street. I was wearing my amazing, you know, bobble bar crystal statement necklace. And we heard this a lot from women who'd, who'd say, you know, I was wearing $500 shoes in a $1,000 handbag. Then I had my $40 necklace from bobble bar and everyone complimented on me on my necklace. Um, so we're very lucky that our product also lends itself um, to that word of mouth. Bulbar doesn't have a storefront, but you have partnerships with some massive companies like Nordstrom's, Bloomingdale's, and Anthropology. What do you think the business of retail will look like 10 years from now? I think that retail, whether it is physical or whether it is digital, is really about meeting the customer need. And I think that the customer is super savvy and super smart. And if anything, the internet has allowed the customer to find information faster, better, more accurately, which means that you have to be um, extremely honest with your customer at all times. Um, And you have to be giving them what they want, when they want it, and where they want it. So, you know, everyone talks about omni-channel, but I do think it's it's critically important. We recognized years ago that we couldn't be a digital-only brand because she doesn't shop digital only. Of course, there are many times where she's so happy to shop online and that's ideally what she wants to do. But there are a lot of other times where she's shopping in person or she has an event that night and she wants to run out and get something. And we have to, you have to always meet the customer where she is. Um, so we launched some of our wholesale partnerships with folks like Nordstrom and, and Bloomingdale's 
a couple of years ago. We've experimented with some pop-up shops, which have been really, really successful. And we find that it all really aids in the overall customer experience and in her brand affinity. How do you develop talent at your company? How do you help people grow to the next level and, and be their best? We love our team. You know, I think we have an extraordinary team. We work really hard to make sure that folks across the organization, no matter what level, from the most junior to the most senior, have a lot of opportunities to sit in on meetings, whether they're internal and cross-functional or with external parties, um, have opportunity to contribute in important meetings where we're talking about, you know, big, exciting projects that we're working on as a company. And it's so important to us that it's not just, you know, the executive team sitting in a room making decisions, but that folks across the organization have an opportunity to learn, to grow, to make their voices heard, and to really, really contribute into every single thing that we're doing as a company. Um, we're also really fortunate that so many of our employees are you know, potential customers of the company. So I think having that perspective and having that feedback is extremely valuable um, and something that, that, we really, that we really try to take full advantage of. What advice would you give to other people wanting to start their own company that you wish that you had known? So I think one of the best pieces of advice um, anybody can give is to not be afraid to put something out there, get it to 90%, get feedback, and then iterate. I think in the beginning, um, we really, and I can speak certainly for myself, I really had this fear that anything we were going to put out, people were going to really remember. And if it wasn't the most perfect, 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 perfect version, it was going to be so embarrassing. And I think we've realized a couple of things. One is nothing is ever going to be the perfect version. Even when you think it's the perfect version, 10 minutes later, you're going to find something else that you don't like. Get it to 90 to 95% and then get it out there. It's going to be good enough. Um, you know, we've also realized that you get a lot of leeway. Um, a lot of folks aren't going to memorize or remember that copy that you put out that you look at and you think, oh, I really didn't like that or that editorial that maybe wasn't your favorite, or our initial website design that I look at now and I think, oh my God, that was so bad. You know, you're always gonna have those moments. As long as you're delivering great products and as long as you're really honest with your customer, she's gonna, you know, she's gonna forget about it. And then when you put up that next editorial that you're so proud of and love, or you do that new site design that you think is just hitting it out of the ballpark, she's gonna remember that and it's okay. Quite frequently you find that men have one or multiple mentors in their career. How should women ask for mentors? How would a woman be able to approach someone like you to be their mentor? I think mentorship is really important. I've been so, so fortunate to have phenomenal mentors throughout my career. Um, I think the key there is, you know, not to necessarily go up to someone and ask. I think it's really just comes down to strong relationship building. So some of my strongest mentors um, even today, I think if you ask them if they're my mentor, they probably don't even think of themselves as that. They probably just think of themselves as a friend. Um, you know, I think that you want to find somebody that you have some commonality with, that you share something with, um, and you want to find really natural and organic ways to build relationships. I think the entrepreneurial community is a really, really, really friendly one. I think you're going to be hard-pressed to find somebody who isn't willing to go get a coffee, go to lunch, go to breakfast, spend a little bit of time with you, hear about your business, talk to you about what you're doing, share thoughts and advice on what they're doing. And it really just comes down to building natural and organic relationships. 
The entrepreneurial path isn't for everyone. What are the three key things that you need to be a successful entrepreneur? To be an entrepreneur, I think there are a lot of qualities, um, you know, that, that do really well for that role. One, I think, is having an open mind. Um, I think it's a really, it's a really delicate balance between having conviction in what, you know, you really believe in and you want to build, but also being willing to listen. Um, you know, you want to have conviction, but you also don't want to put blinders on. And it's important to listen to customers, investors, you know, peers, other folks in your company and, and, and listen to feedback and, and take it seriously. Um, one, the second I would say is you have to be someone who is extremely tenacious. I mean, you have to be willing to just go out there and pound the pavement and just get things done. Um, you know, I think that there is definitely a mentality of folks who, you know, see a roadblock and are immediately figuring out the three ways to get around it and don't get stuck and don't, um, let them, you know, don't let them get them down. And then the third I would say is you need to have a thick skin. You're going to hear no a lot. You're going to hear a lot of people who disagree with what you're doing. Um, you know, and I think especially when people hear about, you know, businesses, people love to try to solve problems for you. So you're going to have a lot of people who are going to say, Oh, like, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. What about that? What about this? Um, and I think that you have to have, you know, a thick skin and you have to really, really believe in yourself and, and be proud of what you're doing and proud of what you're building. Um, and, and go into it with confidence and conviction. You mentioned a lot about community. How has the power of community impacted your life personally as an entrepreneur? I think as an entrepreneur, community is, is really critical. Um, it's everything from getting really tactical, tangible advice to people who are there for you when you're having a, a tough moment. Um, you know, we even, Amy and I have talked about this before. There are some things I, I think that you go through as an entrepreneur, as a founder, that even your closest loved ones, family, they won't really truly understand if they've never really gone through it. So as much as they want to be there for you, not everybody that you're close with that you would normally share with can always empathize. You know, so the way that, for example, Amy can empathize with me and other founders can empathize. So there's something really nice and comforting about community being able to share personal experience to kind of get you through whatever moment you're, you're going through in your career, in your life, what, whatever it may be. So community is pretty critical. What do you find inspiring about Ivy? So one of the things I love about Ivy is that it really is building an incredible community, an incredible resource for people to meet with other folks um, in every single stage of their career journey. Because I think that there's a lot to be learned from everybody, no matter where they are. If it's somebody that's been, you know, in their career or running a company for 25 years or is somebody who's who's just starting. And I think that having those tools and having those experiences and, and the ability to meet with those folks and just share your experience is really powerful. That's our show for the week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast. Don't forget, for more information about the Ivy community and to find out about live events happening near you, visit ivy.com. That's I-V-Y dot com. See you next time.